Good morning, everyone. Um, so last week, um, we started in Genesis 27, and uh, actually at the, we picked up at the end of Genesis 26 with uh, Esau marrying the two Hittite women that uh, made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca, and, um, and then went through the first part of Genesis 27. And um, this morning, we're going to conclude Genesis 27 and just uh, go through a little bit of the beginning of Genesis 28 here. And um, as we saw last week and in some future weeks, uh, uh, we're going to see um, how God, who used Moses to uh, basically write the book of Genesis, um, he provides these great details about certain aspects of key people that were used really uh, in God's uh, part, uh, God's plan of salvation history, um, redemption history. And um, so we get these, these great details. And um, um, after a while, uh, I mean, there's going to be great details coming forward in the uh, few chapters ahead. And um, you might just wonder, what's the point of all this? What's the point of all these uh, details. What's the big picture that God is wanting us to see from providing um, all of these? Um, in many cases, we're going to see, you know, rather sordid details. Um, and this is how one commentator puts it regarding chapter 27. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this from this commentator. By setting this new step forward in the history of salvation in the context of such unprincipled behavior by every member of the family that we saw last week, um, each self-centeredly seeking his or her own interest, the narrator is not simply pointing out the fallibility of God's chosen, whose virtues often turn into vices, but reasserting the grace of God. It is his mercy that is the ultimate ground of salvation. And I think that that is just a, a great way of explaining um, why Perhaps God might give us these um, details, sometimes sorted details of these um, key figures that he uses in his redemption plan, because um, um, we don't find that, uh, that we're much different than these key figures. And, of course, we want to be uh, used in his redemption plan as well. Um, just a second here. I'm going to do something. Okay. Okay. Um, so last week, we looked at each of the characters in this Genesis 27 account that was focused on Isaac's blessing and who would obtain it. Uh, but today, we will once again look at each of the characters, but in a different uh, way. We, we're going to look at how change took place in their lives as a result of their actions. Um, so I want to start off with a little story here. Um, I work for um, Honeywell. And uh, it's a rather large plant that they have in town that employs upwards of 4,000 people. And we used to be in a building that um, was off of Bannister Road that now has been basically mowed down um, so um, to the ground. And, uh, but I don't know, about five years ago when they were building a new building on the south side of town, um, about a year in advance, they just kept putting this word out over and over again that, uh, um, hey, all employees, um, you need to be flexible. Um, the one constant that's going to be in your lives in the upcoming year 
is change. That's the one constant that you're going to be able to count on. Uh, it's almost like they were prepping everyone to um, to understand that um, just be prepared for the unknowns because I think in many ways uh, in moving to a new building, there were many unknowns that even the upper management didn't know what might be faced as far as like timing and, you know, understanding that people like security. Um, they're just basically bracing everyone for uh, the fact that um, there would probably be a lot of insecurity. <laughs> so um, uh, I think God could say the same thing to us when you just ponder this one verse that I want to share um, from Romans 8, 28 and 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Um, and conforming has the idea of being constantly changed until it, something is in its finished state. I know sometimes we like, uh, we like change or look forward uh, to change, uh, while at other times our desire for security makes us fear change. Um, but the reality is, though, there is no escaping change in life and uh, the real question is what sort of change it is. What's the purpose of the change? And what's the outcome of the change? And I think based on uh, God's plan in that verse in Romans 8.28, that he is, his plan is to conform us to the image of his son. I think the one constant that he would say to us is there will be change. Um, that's, that's his goal. Uh, so, so that's what we should, um, uh, be prepared for now change. Of course, that brings us closer to God and change that brings us in line with his word is by definition, good change. Uh, we, we don't need to fear it. We, or we shouldn't fear it. Um, we ought to pursue it. Um, it's interesting, but, uh, back when I was in my early twenties, I, I was not a Christian for very long and. Um, obviously back then, you know, there's not a lot of, um, trials going on in my life. I was single, um, pretty carefree, happy-go-lucky. Um, and I would hear sermons about how God would use trials to, um, uh, build, you know, build our character and, and conform us to the image of Christ. And I remember talking to a, um, a friend of mine one time who was a, who was a pastor and just saying, you know, I need to pray for trials because I, I wanted to pursue change. I wanted to become more like Christ. Um, and I remember his advice to me was like, Andy, um, you don't need to pray for trials. Uh, trust me, you know, they will come in due time. And uh, looking back on that, I just think um, that uh, God God has a plan and, and he will, he will bring trials at the appropriate time to uh, build us and conform us to his image um, as he sees fit. And uh, um, it's not something that I really needed to pursue to try to bring trials into my life uh, at that point in time. Um, but indeed the whole Christian life is one of change is what my point is. It's one of transformation. And uh, if we're not changed or changing, then um, are we really born again? Um, 
we're supposed to be a new creation and the Holy Spirit is in us working to make us more and more like Jesus. So this morning, we're going to look at change in the lives of the four characters and the story as uh, the story continues from last week. Um, so just please uh, bow your heads and pray with me briefly. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would uh, be with my mouth this morning, Lord, and uh, you would bless your word, Father, and um, bless the words that come out of my mouth, Lord, and may they be your words to um, be words of encouragement and exhortation to your body. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, first we're going to look at uh, Isaac. And uh, let's consider Isaac's change, uh, which appears to be really the most remarkable change in this passage. Uh, We're told in verse 33 um, what happens here uh, right off the bat. Um, We're going to start where uh, Eric read that um, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau's brother came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father, Isaac, said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Isaac was gripped by an uncontrollable trembling. Why? Uh, One reason is because he knew the blessing was irrevocable, maybe. Um, His plan uh, to bless his son Esau did not go forward. Um, Esau or Isaac could do nothing to change that at this point. Um, uh, The Hebrew words here... um, they're, they're about the most um, strong words you can use for, for to, to explain the emotion of what was going on here. Literally, it's he trembled, a very great trembling. Excuse me, I'm going to sneeze here. Um, there's already been a change from his plan to bless Esau. Um, we know that he inadvertently, um, unintentionally blessed Jacob. But having pronounced the blessing, knowing that he's been tricked, he, he cannot or he will not reverse the blessing. Um, it might be that he cannot reverse the blessing um, based on the customs of the times. Uh, now, all of that might not bring you to the conclusion that there has been a change in Isaac. But when we come to uh, verse 1 in chapter 28, we see Isaac settling into a pattern of covenant blessing that we've seen before. So if we look at verse 1 in chapter 28, um, it says, Then Isaac called Jacob. He called Jacob this time. You know, Jacob didn't have to come and deceive him. Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings and God gave to Abraham. Um, 
These are the same kind of words that Isaac's father gave him. Uh, the first blessing Isaac uttered, he did so unwittingly, but now he does so with full recognition that this is Jacob he is talking to. So we see him reiterating, tying very closely to the blessing of Abraham. What Isaac is doing here is he's finally coming in line with the redemptive plan of God um, to, to give this blessing to Jacob. Um, which is what God intended in the first place. So there's something going on here that looks like uh, repentance and faith, different from the indulgent stubbornness uh, that we noticed last week at the beginning of this story. Uh, like we said last week, Isaac could have just drifted over time uh, where he was positioned contrary to the will of God. Um, I talked about how, you know, perhaps he. Um, just got rich, and um, as he got older, he uh, just got more comfortable with uh, just um, ease and, and comfort and um, fleshly, basically enjoying the the um, the blessings really that God blessed him with. Um, uh, it might not be so much as he intentionally did it as much as he just drifted there. Um, and I think that should be a warning to us because um, um, it, it can happen in our lives as well. Over time, we develop desires for certain kinds of things, um, even things that are not inherently wrong. Um, and before we know it, we find ourselves on the opposite side of God's will. Um, and Isaac's been shaken in this. He's been deceived, yes, but it appears that God has providentially used that deception to shake him up and to bring him back in line with what God had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and then regarding Jacob. It's like he's been shaken out of um, his indulgent decision-making, and he has lined himself up with God's commitment to rescue the human race um, through the offspring of Abraham. So, I just want you to ponder with me uh, for a minute, Romans 8, 28. Uh, we like to memorize this verse. We like to quote it at certain times, but how deeply do we uh, believe it? Um, I'm just going to uh, go there real quickly and, and read it. Many of you could probably quote it. <clears throat> um, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, for those, yeah, let me read it again. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Um, have you ever been wronged? Uh, or do you ever feel like maybe you've been passed over for a promotion that should have been yours? Uh, maybe for some of you children, um, I think back to when I was growing up and you played on some sports team and, um, the coach is giving out awards and he's going to give out the most valuable player award, which now that I think about it, I don't even know if they do that these days. <laughs> maybe everyone's the most valuable player. Not sure. Uh, but, uh, if you didn't get the MVP award and you thought that should have been mine, you know? Uh, you think, I was wronged. Um, 
what's your typical reaction to those types of things? You know, like your, your knee-jerk reaction uh, is that you were, you were wronged and, and you might have a reaction like Isaac had here where, um, I mean, here, here, Isaac, I, he probably trembled very violently because he realized he was deceived. His, his plan had been thwarted. Um, um, it, it, it did, it did shake him. It, it shook him out of this, um, uh, from, from where, from from the status quo, I, I guess I would put it. Um, and yet that's what happens to us as well. Right. Um, but do we believe that God can even use sinful people who wrong us to wake us up, to change the road we're on to getting back on the road that God is on? And that's what I feel like happened here with Isaac. Excuse me. I asked the question, do we really believe Romans 8.28? Do we really believe that if we're called according to God's purpose, that he causes all things to work together for good? Um, because that, 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 verse is a, that verse is an explanation of what God was doing here. Um, and I think most of the times when these kinds of things happen in our lives, we, um, our initial response does not indicate that we necessarily trust and believe in Romans 8, 28. Uh, uh, I, I think maybe we come around eventually and we go, aha, yeah, Romans 8, 28, God is causing all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Um, but at first we, we feel, we feel backstabbed. We feel, we feel like, uh, someone got the better of us. Um, so, um, but again, this is God, um, God directing things, um, um, towards his plan and using, using, uh, even using sinners um, to get us, to shake us sometimes perhaps out of our dullness um, to get back on the plan that, that he wants us on. So we need to always remember that God is always working according to his purpose and plan. And when we drift into resisting God's will in any particular, what we're really doing is setting ourselves in opposition intentionally or unintentionally we're setting ourselves in opposition to god's preeminent redemptive plan that centers in jesus christ so when you go through your week ask yourself what is the will of god for me what does god want me to do how does this fit into his redemptive plan how does this honor his son how can i be part of furthering the glory of jesus christ this is kind of what Isaac drifted away from, right? And these are the questions that we need to be asking ourselves weekly so that we aren't drifting away from these things. Um, just as a spoiler alert um, for some of the, uh, for a big answer to that, to those questions um, is, is in our mission statement, making mature followers of Christ to the glory of God. Um, if you just focused on that one, okay? Uh, then you'd be doing well. Uh, in fact, uh, that is the one command that we see from the resurrected Christ in all four Gospels. 
Um, if I'm thinking that way, I'm going to live totally differently than if I'm thinking, what do I like to eat? Who is my favorite son? Instead of what is the will of God? And I wanted to share this verse from Ephesians 5, 17. It's one of my favorites. And I'm going to read it from um, uh, uh, the Phillips translation. It says, actually, it's 15 through 17. It says this, live life then with a due sense of responsibility, not as men who do not know the meaning of life, but as those who do. Make the best use of your time, despite all the evils of these days. Don't be vague, but grasp firmly what you know to be the will of the Lord. I like that about don't be vague. It implies don't don't just drift. Don't just drift from day to day, um, but but grasp firmly. Um, so Isaac appears to wake up and have a renewed commitment to God's plan, his will. And this is the kind of change that we really want to and need to see going on in our lives regularly as we are a people, like the old hymn says, Lord, my heart is prone to wander. Um, I'll tell you, for me, what solidifies my faith uh, even more the older I get is that I have come to realize that God is more committed to my sanctification than I am. Um, and I'm beyond grateful for that. Uh, and we see this with Isaac. Um, even though Isaac drifted, God, God was concerned about Isaac's sanctification and God shook him. Um, even through this deceptive plot to, to bring him back in line with God's will. And, um, uh, it's almost like um, I was telling some of this story uh, just in the last couple of weeks that um, even though it's anecdotal evidence um, uh, that God is real, um, um, I know in my heart, my mind that I'm trusting in the Lord Jesus um, and that he's, he's true because um, every time I wander away, no matter how long and, even though it's too many times, um, uh, he always brings me back, and 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 I I know he brings me back, and I I um, I I clearly see how he's bringing me back, and um, which just which just tells me that I know I'm his. Um, it, it's like a father uh, or a shepherd going after a sheep, just like he explains that he is a shepherd. And, um, and those of you who know that you are his, I know that you have experienced this, this same thing. All right, let's move on to Rebecca. Um, so with Rebecca, um, the change we see in her, honestly, is not as great as uh, what we would like to see. Uh, the change we see in her is really more of um, an unexpected loss due to uh, the manipulation, the deceptive manip manipulation that she uh, came up with. And I'm pretty sure that this was not the change that she was expecting to happen in her life. Um, I'm going to read verses 41 through 43. It says, um, Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. 
But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So if you're wondering, I was wondering this myself, says, and Esau said to himself. But this it says, but the words of Rebekah, I mean, of Esau were, her older son were told to Rebekah. So obviously, even though Esau was thinking these things to himself originally, he probably started, um, couldn't hold it in, was telling it to his friends, and somehow the word got back to the grapevine to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while. <clears throat> and <clears throat> some of your translations actually probably use the words a few days. Stay with him a few days, which is probably what she might have been thinking in her, in her mind. Uh, and not really a few days, maybe, but a short time. Okay, not 20 years. Um, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be reft of you both in one day? And sure enough, what happens is she, she ends up, she ends up losing him for not just a short time, but, uh, uh, probably, um, it, there's never, uh, a time in scripture that says that Jacob ever saw her again. She might've died in those 20 years before he came back and he uh, very likely never saw her again. And that's not what she was expecting. It was unexpected. Um, this is so much how sin looks to us, right? Um, uh, there's this collateral damage that, that uh, it's going to cause. And um, you, you just wonder here, like uh, Rebecca's scheme, how, I mean, it was a masterful scheme, and yet somehow it seems like it wasn't completely thought through. Uh, it's like it, it uh, somehow uh, she didn't think through all of the things that could have happened. Um, uh, and so uh, what we're going to find out is, you know, there's this collateral damage that is going, it's, it's caused. It's like it was a half-baked plan. And, um, but this is, this is very much how sin looks to us. It has this huge front end appeal, and we seem to put out of our minds the rest of the story and how we're going to deal with that. And I don't know, maybe it's just the nature of sin um, and the nature of um, deception that it, it uh, even though technically in our minds we know that the word of God tells us that sin will bring death, um, that it that the deception is so good that it masks the back end in our minds from what we see as the benefits on the front end, because it, it just, it does that all, all the time. Um, and at the time of this scheme, again, I, I'm sure Rebecca had no idea the price she would have to pay for her deceptive scheme. Um, she lost the one she was trying to save, um, which is another lesson to us that, Sin's price is always higher than what we think it will be. Um, sometimes you wonder uh, here why Rebecca didn't uh, come out and uh, and just confess to Isaac um, the situation. Say, look, I'm I'm sorry, I, I lied to you, and um, uh, I'm sorry about this plan I cooked up. Um, here's what's going on. 
Um, Esau is very angry and he, he wants to kill Jacob. And um, you, can you talk to him so that um, to um, tell him to not do this thing? But no, she ends up having to devise another plan again, which uh, this is, she ends up, you know, losing Jacob in the the plot here. Um, She doesn't come out and confess and be honest. And uh, she, 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 she basically is just uses another manipulative scheme and um, uses something against Isaac that she knows will resonate with him when she, she comes out and says, um, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? She doesn't even mention um, anything about Esau wanting to kill Jacob. Um, and of course, by, by putting on the drama queen act with Isaac there, then Isaac uh, calls Jacob to uh, tell him that he needs to go and find a wife in another um, land. So um, I guess the application from this really is that um, pretty obvious, but this is not uh, the way a marriage is supposed to work. And yet this is the way um, uh, many marriages are conducted. Uh, One might argue that Isaac was too passive here and the marriage had degenerated too far for Rebecca to use an honest approach rather than resort to manipulative tactics. Um, But without honesty, there can't be trust. Um, And without trust, a marriage erodes. And this is not the way God intended marriages to be. And um, if any marriages today resonate with this story, let me just encourage you this morning to, to get your marriages on honest ground. And that's going to require love and forgiveness and transparency. Um, and if children are involved in the family, trust me, uh, they're learning about relationships from mom and dad. And um, same with Jacob and the Esau here. Um, so now let's turn to Esau. <clears throat> so in some ways, uh, you kind of could muster some sympathy for him. After all, his brother um, ha- has been very conniving um, and cheating him. And you wonder if God kept Isaac alive as long as he did so that Esau would cool off since he was going to wait till his father died before he killed his brother. Uh, but regardless, the time did end up helping. And after 20 years or so, Esau did eventually cool off, as we'll find out a few chapters from now. And Esau and Jacob reconciled. But um, right now he wants to murder Jacob for cheating him out of the blessing. Not so much because Esau values uh, the spiritual benefit of it, but because he wants the material wealth and earthly power it uh, would have given him. Um, Esau is still utterly earthly in his thinking. Um, and uh, But at the end here, you see where he um, saw what was going on with Isaac, uh, sending uh, Jacob away to take a wife um, not from the Canaanite women. He said, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And then you see that Esau then overheard that conversation or saw what was going on. And so Esau goes to uh, the Ishmaelites to to take another wife since um, 
um, uh, to please, it says, that his motive was to please Isaac, his father. Um, and it's kind of telling that it's, it's not, has nothing to do with pleasing his mother. Um, but, uh, uh, but was he just making a change to smooth over the relationship with his parents? Um, was he just making a change to improve the situation at home? And, um, it's hard to tell from what we read here. Um, I wanted to give Esau the benefit of the doubt here, thinking that he might have had a real heart change. Um, and so I, I look forward to the, uh, passages where he meets up with Jacob and reconciles and, and I was thinking there might be something in Esau's life where he gives credit to God for blessing him because he did end up um, with a rather, rather uh, large flocks and, and, and um, children and things of that nature. But in that conversation, you see Jacob talking about how God blessed him. You see no mention of Esau ever giving any acknowledgement to God in, in the whole situation unless unless I missed it and um, uh, so I'm not sure that Esau really ever had any heart change um, uh, in this situation um, and I wonder more if still his change here the Esau the change that we see in Esau is more pragmatic than it is. Um, more of uh, from a change that would be classified from like a repentance and a faith in God. Um, so regardless of, uh, you know, what we know and we don't know, I think an application that I want us to see from, from Esau's life here is that um, uh, making change for pragmatic reasons is not the kind of change that God is looking for. Um, God doesn't want us to just make changes that are superficial, just to make our lives a bit easier, uh, but not necessarily to change the reality of the root issue that's going on in our hearts. Um, uh, I'm sure that you are aware, you know, when you're doing this, you're trying to change something just to change the symptoms of what's going on, but but you don't want to change to the heart change that you need to get rid of the disease. Um, many people, even sometimes their first uh, entrance into a church, um, you know, is to find a fix for the pain they're in. Um, they don't re really want to deal with the root problem in their lives. And that's fine if that's, if that's their first entrance into a church building. But um, as we get to know people who are, running to a church as a rescue center to find a fix for the pain they're in. We know that the, the real answer is, is uh, for them is to fix the root problem, which is to repent of them being the king of their own lives and to put their faith in Jesus Christ, the king, and endeavor to follow him with their whole hearts. Um, because if, if we try to solve their issues with Band-Aid fixes, superficial fixes, then um, uh, eventually those band-aids will come off. Um, sometimes Esau is almost like a child um, who's grown up, uh, who, who might grow up in a Christian home, who, who knows, knows the lingo 
um, but whose heart is 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 firmly fixed on the world. Um, their hearts may have never uh, really been given to God. They've they've not really um, uh, grasped the faith um, in their own hearts. Uh, they they know how to adapt their lives to get along. Um, uh, they know uh, they don't want to get in trouble with their folks, so they honor the rules while they're at home. Um, but they haven't, uh, they haven't really repented of being the king of their own lives and given the Lord Jesus Christ the reign of their hearts. Um, and that's kind of what I see um, in Esau's life. Um, um, I learned this through just studying this week, but Esau's descendants, the Edomites, <clears throat> uh, really, you kind of can kind of, they pursued this course through history, down through the family, through even which Herod would come. Actually, Herod is from a descendant of Esau. And uh, so we will see them pursuing self-indulgence, jockeying for political power, even to the point of trying to murder the Messiah after he was born. So finally, we come to Jacob. And he here, we really are going to see a God who is committed to fill, fulfilling his purposes and plans through a person. And as I said earlier, I, um, as I get older, I feel like I've just come to see that God is more committed to my sanctification than I'm committed to my sanctification. And that's what I see here with Jacob. Uh, Jacob is here in his 70s now, and, and, um, um, and God is going to... God is committed to Jacob's sanctification, and God is going to begin intervening in Jacob's life. It's not that he hasn't been intervening in Jacob's life up to now, but you're going to see where God is deeply committed to Jacob's sanctification. Um, and a verse I want to share is from Hebrews 12, 5, and 6, and it says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be wary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So we see God's providential discipline in Jacob's life for spiritual growth. Um, according to verse 5 in chapter 28, uh, Jacob went away to Paddan Aram. Now, this is not a change that Jacob would have chosen <clears throat> but now it's a necessity to save his life uh, after his uh, dirty trick on his brother. And it serves also to find a wife who's also not a Canaanite. Uh, but often um, our own foolish choices set in motion a chain of events that disrupts our world, um, that sets us on a path that we never would have chosen. And you remember last week I was talking about praying for my children when they were you know, um, really in those uh, late teenage years, early 20s, that, God, please keep them from making a foolish choice that might uh, do this very thing that I just read here, set in motion a chain of events that, that will uh, set them on a path that, um, you know, that would not be, in my mind, a good path. But but we find that even so, right, God is still in it, right? Um, it's on that path that, that Jacob finally finds his way. 
Um, God's reasons are far more extensive than Jacob's or Rebecca's. God will take um, Jacob and work him over. And when God is done, Jacob will never be the same again. And uh, Jacob is going to see God um, on this path, act in ways he never experienced before and never expected. So next week, we will see that Jacob will have his first direct encounter with the reality of God's existence. So I hope that this can be, um, in some ways, an encouragement to, um, to all of us that even when uh, we make foolish choices that might set in motion this chain of events that uh, we, in hindsight, wouldn't have wanted to happen, that God is still, he's still in it. Um, and he is still able to, um, uh, to transform us and conform us to the image of his son. Um, so we're going to, um, find out that in the end, you know, uh, when Jacob comes back, he's going to wrestle with God and all he's going to be able to do at the end is, is cling to God. And um, in that wrestling match, and um, I think of the uh, when I think of the the how what it is to like him clinging to God. I think of how um, that being a position of that God wants us to be in, where we're just clinging to Him. Um, I think of like when if you've ever seen a boxing match and a boxer gets tired, and really the other guy's really beating him up. Um, the one boxer oftentimes just tries to get into a position where he can just grab the other guy and just hug him just to get a rest, you know, and, and God really, as God is working us over in a sense, proverbially, he wants us to be in this position where we're just grabbing onto him, clinging to him saying, God, I, I'm just going to hold on to you um, now, which is really the, the point he would like us to just be in if, if he didn't have to take us through all of that. Um, so God knows how to train up his children. Um, he knows the key to our hearts. Um, he knows what two by fours to use to get our attention. Um, he knows how long it will take and uh, nobody can run to where God isn't and nobody can outsmart him. Uh, not even a Jacob. Um, so whatever situation that you can think of that you might currently be in, or you might be thinking of a friend, a family member, a child um, that may appear desolate and without hope. First of all, with God, there's always hope. Um, and, uh, and you think it's God, God, Jesus is the one who, who, who gave us the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, how long was that son away? We, we don't know. How long did it take him to run out of money? I don't know. Uh, but God was working in his life the whole time. Um, and God brought him back. God knew um, what to do to bring that son uh, to his knees. So God's got this. Um, the thing is, you've experienced it in your own lives, I'm sure. Uh, so trust him to do this work in others' lives that you uh, may be praying for right now. So I can have confidence even when the mess that I'm in is a mess I've created. Um, 
I have confidence that the God who's laid hold of me, who's determined to bless me, like we said last week, will providentially, uh, graciously bring all this pressure, all these difficulties to bear in my life so that I become what God intended me to be all along. This is the kind of change that we need. And God knows that as human beings subject to the flesh, there's often in the crucible of pain uh, that we're best changed, um, that the dross can come to the surface and he can just skim it away. Uh, so when we hit the hard times, when we face painful circumstances, recognize God is doing a work that he is committed to do if we belong to him. And he will take our foolish moves that brought the ceiling down on our heads. And he will take that and say, I'll use that. Uh, I'm going to remake you uh, to look just like my son, Jesus. So the one constant in the Christian life is change. What kind of change are you looking to find? That's the question this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, I thank you, God, that you are committed uh, to us. You are committed, as we said last week, to bless the human race. Um, and God, you are committed to conform us. You've predestined us to be conformed to the image of your Son, God. So it's a work that you're committed to. And God, in our flesh, I mean, we, we wax and wane in being committed to that goal. Um, but yet your commitment never waxes and wanes. And I'm thankful for that, God. I'm grateful for it. Um, I, I, can, I rest in that, God. I rest in that for myself. I rest in that for my fellow brothers and sisters, Lord. And God, I just thank you that you, um, I mean, you are just so, you are a rock, God. You are a rock that doesn't change. You are a rock that is immovable and you have shown it time and time again lord um i praise you for that god um god i i think of the verse that says um uh, the psalmist or, or you say through the psalmist i will strengthen thee surely i will help thee surely i will uphold thee with my righteous right hand and I pray that for us this morning, God, that wherever we individually are at this morning, God, that in each of our lives, you will strengthen us. Um, you will uphold us with your righteous right hand, God. And wherever we are at, Lord, on that road, if we are on the road uh, of, of, the, of your plan or if we are on a side street, uh, a rabbit trail, God, I pray that you would um, bring us back in line uh, uh, to be on the road uh, of, of your plan um, uh, this, this week. Um, I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen.